Well, there was the one guy in London that hired me to do kind of this, um, I guess you would call it a sadomasochistic kind of recording. And I, I just remember saying something about the whip crack hits your back, you know? <laughs> Podcast Junkies, episode 198. We are on our way to episode 200, coming so soon. And regular listeners of the show will know exactly what that means and actually who the guest is going to be. But if you're new to the show, then let's take a step back and I'll introduce myself. I'm Harry Duran. I'm the host of the Podcast Junkies. Been doing this for over five years. I'm so privileged and honored to have conversations with amazing podcasters doing amazing things. And this week is no different. But first, last week, remember that I had a conversation with Cole Raven, if you were paying attention, and he's the co-founder of Podchaser. Podchaser is the IMDb of podcasts. And why that's important is because they're standardizing the way we show credits for our shows. And I'm really a big fan. I've been following them for a couple of years, and I think what they're doing is actually great. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking to Dawn Davis, as I mentioned, and she is the host of Desert Lady Diaries. This was a great conversation. Dawn and I met at Podcast Movement last year, and we actually have a common friend in Robin Maxwell. And if you've been paying attention, uh, Robin and I were co-hosts on a new podcast series called An Alien in Hollywood, which is about the life and times of Ronald Shusett, the co-creator of Alien. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to analieninhollywood.com, and you'll find the links for that. So we talk with Dawn about the genesis of Desert Lady Diaries and how she decides to have guests on her show. What's interesting is that she actually does them in person, I think with the exception of one. So we talk a little bit about the gear that she uses when she does that. Um, She brought up the celebration of Juneteenth, which I actually knew nothing about. So listen in around a minute 11, and you'll find out as well if you don't know. She's planning for her upcoming 100 episode, and we talk a little bit about the research that goes into every show. She actually got her background doing podcasting and some expertise in it from the work she does as a voiceover artist. And so she talks about what she enjoys most about it um, and how she got into it and how that's allowed her to become a great interviewer and how that's led to open and honest and vulnerable conversations with her guests. She has a passion for community organizing, so we talk a little bit about that. And that ties into her decision to move to the desert and become an integral part of the community and why that's important for her. We dig into the special Diary Unlocked feature she's created only for Patreon users, and I'd never heard anything like this before, so that's about at minute 41, so listen out for that. It's something she's doing specifically for that community, and it's something you might get ideas from. So as always, full show notes are available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 198. We have another sponsor back who's been here before, and it's Focusrite. And this is hot off the presses. The third generation line is now available. As if their 2G versions weren't enough, the Focusrite team now gets even better. And I've had the benefit of getting early access to the Scarlett 2i2 specifically. And it's safe to say that it boasts two of the best performing mic preamps the Scarlett range has ever seen or heard, I guess. <laughs> There's now an air button, which is super cool. It's going to give your mic a brighter and more open sound. And they've added a quick start tool to get you up and running super fast. The bundled software now includes Ableton Live Lite, Avid Pro Tools Creative Pack, SoftTube's Time and Tone Bundle, and that includes three world-class reverb, delay, and distortion plugins, all of it included. In other words, guys, the best just got better. You've heard me talk about 
this preamp, the Scarlett 2i2 focus right, which I raved about in the past, and they've just improved it. So I, it's my number one recommendation for when you're ready to move directly from plugging the mic directly into your laptop and then want to add some control over the gain and specifically the headphone monitoring as well, which is really important. So Scarlett 2i2, check it out. Make sure you stay till the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, enjoy my conversation, wide ranging as it is, with Dawn. So Dawn Davis, host of Desert Lady Diaries, thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Thank you so much for having me. So I always like for guests to give a little bit of background into how we first met or how we came across each other's paths. So do you do you remember that origin story? Well, I do. And it's a little kind of crazy because I was at, um, we were both at Podcast Movement last year in Philadelphia and you got on stage and I looked at Jules, who you've had on the show. We met for yeah. the first time there. And I said, mic drop. And she goes, I know. <laughs> we felt like we got so much out of your presentation. And then as the weekend or as the week went on, Jules had interaction with you. I did not for whatever reason. But a few months later, when I was in about to interview one of the desert ladies, somehow your name came up in conversation with Robin Maxwell. And I'm like, she says, I think she sent me an email that said, I just got off the phone with Harry Duran and he said he knows you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is too nuts. And you guys are now working on a project together, creating a podcast, which is amazing. Yeah. So um, yeah, kind of wacky. <laughs> Sometimes things like that make really put a smile on my face. And you know, I'm, I'm really a spiritual person. So I'm, I'm a really a big believer in like the universe, putting things in your path and putting people in your path at just the right place and, th and the right time. And sometimes some of the pieces are, are put in place, but they're not whatever, quote unquote, activated until like a year later or three years later. So to even think that I was, you know, I had met you. And so I knew who you were. And then I, and separate thread was pursuing something with Robin, who I was interested in because of her book and I'm a fan of all things Atlantis and her amazing um, trilogy, Early Earth, uh, just totally sucked me in. And um, the quick story on that is I reached out to her one off and say, hey, when's, when are books two and three coming? And then, you know, as you know, Robin, and you've had her on the show, mm -hmm. um, right. she's like, It'd be better if we just talked on the phone. I'm not a big fan of this email thing. So. Right. <laughs> and so we started that relationship. And as a result of that, realized that she had a relationship with Ronald Chusette, who was one of the co-creators of Alien. And now we created an Alien in Hollywood as, as that podcast recently launched, um, which I think you got a chance to listen to as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then um, your podcast, uh, you want to talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea and eventually obviously how Robin ended up on the show, but where were you at, 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 at the, at your podcasting like timeline when you were at podcast movement? I was probably, I want to say maybe somewhere between 50 and 60 episodes in, okay. um, at that point. Yeah. Uh, but still always looking for new learning and new ways of being. And as a matter of fact, today, I was going through a little stack of, oh, I got to get to that. I got to get to that. And in there is my podcast 18 or PM 18 mm. notes with a thing that says Harry Duran. <laughs> so I pulled it out and I was like, I need to look at this to see what I'm using. And I think for me, the biggest thing that you recommended during that, that session 
was doing uh, repurposing your content. And yeah. I totally took you up on the Throwback Thursday, and I've been doing it ever since. So thank you very much for that. But the origin story of the podcast was initially when I was living in Los Angeles, suddenly a friend of mine who was in a relationship for 10 years was out of a relationship, not by her choice. So she and I kind of started, we were good friends, but we started meeting every week and kind of reading books together about finance and relationships and being accountable to each other about our learnings. And at that point, I had this like epiphany of, you know what, as a woman of a certain age, I probably have some knowledge that I could offer some younger women about the direction of their lives. And I thought about starting a blog. I got the WordPress site set up. Mm-hmm. I reached out to my 16-year-old who, who was 16 at the time. And I said to my niece, I said, do you have some questions that you would want to ask maybe not your mom, but somebody else about life in general? She sent me like a dozen questions. And I set about beginning to write answers to those questions. I never launched the website. Mm-hmm. I just recently, within the last two months, finally let it go because I've been paying you know, the fee on it every year. Yeah. So then fast forward to April of 2016, my same friend, Carrie and Zach and I decide to come out to Joshua Tree and I'd never been here before. Within three months, I was living here. Wow. And probably within, I don't know, nine months after that, I realized that I was meeting some really amazing women out here that are either moved out here on their own or they've been living here for a super long time on their own. And they just all had such interesting backgrounds and I wanted to know more about them. And then at some point, I don't know, you know, you get your best ideas in the shower sometimes. I don't remember what it was that said, oh, why don't you do a podcast about these women? Because at the same time, I'm a voiceover and I Mm. do that for my living. So it was a good way for me to like have a vehicle to put my voice out into the public for potential marketing, but also start upset about meeting these women and uh, sharing their stories. And I think it just ultimately is listening to some of their stories. Some of them have been out here for three months. Some of them have been out here for, I don't know, 50 years, or they've lived their whole life here. But there's always some kind of really interesting challenge or struggle that they came up against and somehow maneuvered their way out of and, you know, moved on successfully. So I think it's super valuable in that. And the people in the community have told me that, you know, we go out and we see each other at events. And it's like, hey, how are you doing? How's that thing? Okay, see you next time. We don't really dig into who are you? Where did you come from? How did you get mm-hmm. here? We, you know, yeah. what, What's your life about? And a lot of people now will approach me and say, you know, I know her, but I didn't know that. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's bringing more, I don't, wanna, I don't know if humanity is the right word, but it's just bringing a more human element to the community. It's not so surface. It's taking things deeper with at least the women in the community. Yeah. And everyone that's been on the show is someone that is from that local community and and you've actually interviewed in person? Absolutely. And there's only been one person so far that doesn't necessarily live here, but she's an author that lives in LA and comes out often and actually wrote a book called Wonder Valley, which is a community a little further east of where I am in Joshua Tree and past 29 Palms. So um, she came out and had a book signing at a couple of local places. And one of the community members in Wonder Valley reached out to me and said, hey, would you consider having her on the podcast? And we talked not only about um, the place, but we talked about the use of place in fictionalized material, because some people get a little offended when they see their place in a story and go, that's not how that is. That's not yeah, how that yeah. is. You know, so we kind of address that, which is kind of interesting. 
And um, turns out she and I also had in common doing some work down on Skid Row in LA. So um, yeah, it turned out to be a super interesting conversation. <laughs> so did did you have a criteria in mind when you started when you initially started the show, like the type of women that you wanted on, or is it just if it, if anyone was doing something under the the guise of interesting work? In, in the desert that was a woman that they were open for you to be to be a guest on your show? You know, people ask me all the time, how do you decide who comes on? And essentially, I first sat down and because it was a, a new podcast, I reached out to my immediate circle of friends that I've made here in the desert because I pretty much knew they wouldn't turn me down. <laughs> and they all have cool stuff that they're doing. Um, and then the list just really grew from there. People coming on and saying, you know, who you should talk to and that sort of thing. Or I'm reading the local newspaper and I see some woman's doing some super cool thing. Like recently I interviewed a young lady who is originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, celebrated Juneteenth all the time in Milwaukee and now comes to the desert with her husband who's in the service out at the Marine base. And she said, I was asking my friends, so what do they do here for Juneteenth? And they were like, nothing. (laughs) So she decided, go ahead. No, I'm going to say, I'm going to have to, uh, confess that I don't know what that is either. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. So um, Juneteenth is a celebration of the slaves in Texas finally finding out that they were actually free. Mm. So the slave owners were like not, a, not bringing that news to them. And then it finally made it down to Texas and it was on June 19th. So they call it Juneteenth. Yeah. And it's specific to Texas. No, it's actually celebrated all over. And that's that's kind of what Kajil was saying. She goes, I don't want people to think this is strictly an African-American event. It's actually an American event. It was people realizing that they were free Americans and we mm. should all be celebrating that. So, And that's actually this weekend out in 29 Palms. She's doing that on Saturday. So I happened to read about that in the paper and I thought, hey, that's something that I think people would be interested in. And we have a ton of artists and musicians here that are doing a lot of interesting work. And I've had women on that were running for Congress against our longstanding Republican congressman. Mm. I have had a woman on who is working with immigrant prisoners out at Adelanto, a prison here in Southern California. And it's just interesting because we don't have an opportunity, really, there's so much happening in our world. We don't necessarily have an opportunity to, to dig into all the specifics of certain things. And sometimes when I have people on, we can dig into those specifics because they are in the middle of doing it. So, so with the so, what episode is is about to drop now? What number are you up to? I just dropped ninety two. Okay, so you get, yeah, I think I, I remember seeing it was in the nineties. So you're getting. You're, are you going to do anything special for a hundred? You know, I've been tossing that around, and at this moment in time, there really is no budget for the podcast, and. Uh, financially, I'm not in a position to just throw a big party. So um, I've had thoughts of going out and finding sponsors to have an event and that sort of thing. But I've been involved in some other things that I've been working on and just not enough time to dedicate to do it properly. And I don't want to do it, can I say, half-assed. So I just did. You can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that's still kind of up in the air. I do know that for the 100th episode my plan is to read some excerpts from a book that was written by a woman who moved here with her husband in the early 1900s and homesteaded before they built their homestead. They lived in a tent at the Oasis Samara 
for four months, which was like October to January. And the book is all about her kind of adventures and the different things that happened here in this area while they were making their life here. And the reason a lot of um, these folks came out here in the first place was that the men had mustard gas poisoning from World War One, And wow. there was a doc- doctor in Pasadena who was seeing all these men. And he's like, you need to go to the desert. The air's drier. It's better for your lungs. So that's why a lot of those folks came out here to heal. And that's why they were here. So I've gone to the library because locally it's a reference book. I had to actually read it in the library. So I think it was last Wednesday. I went in at one and I left at six and I only had four chapters to go. So I reread those on Saturday morning. But what I did also is I marked pages of certain passages that were really like either really endearing or exemplified some challenges that they were experiencing here in during those times about growth, expansion, development they're not the same as what we're experiencing here now, but it's just interesting to see that they were having a, a similar struggle with having people come out here. Yeah. Well, I have been out there for, for a couple of times uh, to Joshua Tree, so I can vouch for how beautiful it is out there. Yeah. You know, what, what, given what you just explained, I'm wondering now and curious as to how much research you you actually do for each guest that you have on the show. You know. Sometimes I just go online and I Google and stuff comes up all the time. That's really interesting. I had a local um, oil painter on and I had found some really interesting information about her, like a life previous to oil painting. Mm -hmm. And when she sat down, she immediately said, and I don't want to talk about this part of my life. And I was like, darn it. It's so interesting. (laughs) Nobody knows this. Why? So, you know, I respect that. And when they sit down in front of me, I say, if there's anything I ask you that you don't want to answer, just raise your hand and, you know, we don't need to talk about it. But um, yeah, not, I don't do a whole lot of research. I ask them to send a 50 word bio, okay, a photograph that can be used for social media promotion purposes and any links or websites that they want to send people to uh, afterward if they have. Sometimes they have businesses or products or art that they want people to see. So I want to get that out there. I sometimes like to get into the uh, the nitty gritty and geek out on like the specifics of like the workflow. So do you use like a scheduling tool, use Calendly or anything to make sure that you're not doing the back and forth dance on email? Nope. I'm <laughs> super old school when it comes to that. and But I yeah. do have templates. Okay. I did create some templates like the reach out template and I have the uh, confirmation template and I have the, your episode is now up. Here's the link template. So I do make use of those templates. I read before I started doing the podcast, I did some research, you know, I got books from the library, which was super dated um, from a technical standpoint, but from the logistics of putting all the pieces together, they were super helpful and uh, the, I think the biggest thing I took away from that was the block interviewing. And I was doing that a lot more last year. That's where a good I, one, yeah. yeah, I would schedule days where I would have three or four people come to my place. We'd do the interviews. And then you're not sweating like, oh, shoot, I don't have any material for next week. And I don't like, I've been in that position and I don't like being there. Or I know that I'm going out of town now. So I was just looking this morning and saying, oh, you need about three people to come in through here the Mm. next two weeks. So I'll send the emails out and we'll, you know, back and forth. I usually send a block of dates like this date or this date or this date at this, this, this or this time and make it easy that way. Yeah. But I haven't used a tool. Mm -mm. 
And what are you using gear-wise for the in-person recordings? I use the, is it the AT2100? Okay, the ATR2100? Yeah, I use that. And do you, um, do you use two of those? Or do you no, go, do you... you know what? I'm using one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have to, but here's the problem. I am so non-technical. Like the mic, a funny story actually happened at Robin's um, when I went to interview her. So sometimes I will go to people's homes if like they only have one car or they live way out or they're 89 years old or, you know, whatever. So I take my laptop and I take my microphone. At that time I was using a, um, what is that called? It's called a blue eyeball. So it had a camera and a microphone, right? And I would just set that up. Well, I got mm. to her house and I'd been having some difficulty with it. I mean, it's, the thing was about 15 years old to begin with. So I plugged it in a couple of interviews before her and it would just like cut out in the middle of the interview. And I had to say, sorry, can you repeat that or whatever? So I get to Robin's and we're doing the interview and it did it again. I'm like, wait a minute. I just have to jiggle this around a little bit and it wouldn't come back. And she looked at me and she goes, do you want to use my setup? I just got these microphones. Harry told me to buy them. <laughs> so we plugged one in and yeah. went from there. So she was uh, she was my savior that day. <laughs> I think she's, because uh, my, my newer recommendation is the Samson, which is what I'm using now, the Samson Q2U. Okay. And so it's good because it's the same um, features as the ATR2100. So mm-hmm. it's got the, the USB connection in the back and it's got the XLR. Uh, right. It's got the volume control on the outside, so you can kind of mm. see that. And oh and yeah, t- yeah, yeah. So it's it's got there. So and then well, I like the um, I like the fact that you can plug it in two different ways because ultimately my ultimate goal is to get either the Tascam or a Zoom. Okay, yeah, the Zoom's good. Right. And then the other good thing about the Samson, which is interesting, um, it's it's called handling noise. It's the noise that you hear when you're actually holding the microphone, and mm. so. What I've noticed with the ATR is you get more of that picked up on the actual recording. And and so on the Samson, if you are gonna eventually like add another mic, it's helpful for that when you're doing that, you know, handing the microphone back and forth or you going back and forth with the microphone. Because typically best practices, you know, for remote conversations is just like like I have it on a on a tripod right now. Right. So I'm not moving it and I'm not touching it. So that's usually good. But if you are in a situation where you're at a conference or in people's houses, uh, um, having a, you know, without having to spend a couple of hundred bucks for a studio quality, like a Shure SM58, I think is what they typically mm-hmm. use. But, but um, that's just a, a, a good practice. So I'm just always curious about how yeah. podcasters are, are setting up their, their stuff. And then there's a unique set of challenges. I, I have done a couple of interviews in person and you're just more nervous about whether or not you're actually capturing it. Is it recording and all that mm, sort of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't really see it. I do mine all on my laptop and I open up a, a program that I think is typically in the Mac called sound studio. So I've been using that for a long time in my voiceover work and I just never change. So I use that all the time. So I always have the laptop and it's open and I can see that it's recording. I know if I go to the Tascam or the Zoom, I'm not sure if there's a window on there that shows you there that. Is, or yeah. There is. Yeah. There is. Okay. There's a little like a uh, digital display. Yeah. See, um, and then with me, it's I'm um, like a technophobe. So that's a problem. <laughs> so how did you get into the voiceover work? Well, a long time ago, I was working at Budget Rent-A-Car at Newark Airport. And I would, one of my jobs was just to answer the phone. And there were numerous people who I answered the phone and either said, wow, you have a great voice. You should be on the radio. (laughs) Or conversely said, 
are you on the radio? You have a great voice. And after hearing it enough times, I started thinking, you know what? Maybe there is something to this. So I took the PATH train over to the city and went and did a little thing at um, Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Mm. And they wanted so much more money than I had (laughs) to do that. So I came back home and I'm like, okay, what are you going to do now? So I found a woman, oddly enough, in the back of like a a monthly magazine, like New Jersey magazine or something. And she lived up in North Jersey. And I would go up there Saturdays and we'd work on it for two or three hours. And then I kind of backburnered it. I was actually working full time for a bank. I got transferred from Jersey to Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I was in in Charlotte for a number of months. And that's when all of the acting and voiceover stuff suddenly started to go. I auditioned for a local community theater. I started taking teleprompter and voiceover classes. So that's really where that all started and where it came from. And how long have you been doing that now? Gosh, it's over 20 years, probably 22 years. Yeah. Any interesting uh, voiceover work stories? Well, there was the one guy in London that hired me to do kind of this, um, I guess you would call it a sadomasochistic kind of recording. And I I just remember saying something about the whip crack hits your back, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that's probably the most interesting. Typically, it's these 30-second spots for like car dealerships in Florida or, you know, yeah. Although I have a funny story. My parents moved from Jersey to Delaware about 12 years ago. And about, I don't know, about a year ago, my mother texts me and she goes, did you do a spot for just some kind of construction company? And I'm like, I don't know. I do stuff every day. I have no idea where it's going or where, you know, and she's like, I'm sure it's you. And I go, well, give me the name of it. And I'll look because sometimes I keep stuff, you know, and sure enough, it was. She's like, I knew it. I'm sitting here at the computer and all of a sudden (laughs) you're in the room with me. So that was kind of fun. That is fun. (laughs) What do you what do you like the most about it? I think that um, the ability to work from home is just amazing. And I was the kid in school who loved when the teacher said, "Okay, who wants to read the first paragraph? Who wants to read the next paragraph?" I was always the one who wanted to read out loud, which I think is an interesting observation. I don't know where that came from, but um, so I set up my you know walk in closet here with my moving blankets on the walls and Mm -hmm. my Sennheiser and, you know, I bring the laptop in and I do my work and it's awesome. Which, so what model are you using for the voiceover recordings? It's the Sennheiser 421 MK something. Yeah. And that's not a dynamic microphone that's meant to be in the studio. So you really have to be like, you have to have some serious sound dampening in that closet, right? Right. Yeah. And I have um, the Focusrite Scarlett, is my oh, yeah. uh, preamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got the major set up in there, but the closet is not big enough to have people in to interview. So I don't do that. I do it at my kitchen table. So sound quality is consistent typically, mm-hmm. but it does suffer a bit because there's a linoleum floor. I do put a um, tablecloth on the tile okay. table, but other than that, I mean, and then I run it through, I'd have a graphic equalizer setting that one of my friends came and did. He was Tell, he came over and he's like, let me show you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mm. it was like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. <laughs> and I'm going, can you just set it and leave it? And yeah, I'll set it and forget it. Yeah. Right. I'll just use that setting every time. And then um, I did a couple book recordings for ACX. And at the time they oh, yeah. had a requirement that you run stuff through a program called Levelator. Yeah, so yeah. I still had that. And like, suddenly like, I don't know, 10 episodes in, I'm like, 
hey, maybe I should. And it sounds super, oh, it, yeah. it really helps. So I do those two things and it, you know, sounds pretty good. There's also Auphonic, um, which we use for clients shows. It's A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. Okay. And they, and they do mastering, leveling, and you get two hours free a month and then you just buy credits oh. if you need it. So if you've got, you know, if you've got less than two hours worth of audio a month and it's free, it's, it's a... I've met the the founder of the of the tool. Mm. Their noise reduction is just like amazing, and we we run wow. everything through there. And the other bonus is you can ID three tag your episode. So if you have oh. chap, if you have chapter notes, if you have a summary, if you have artwork, you do that right. all in Alphonic, and then you export it, and then it's also now connecting to Libsyn and Blueberry and some of the other hosts. So mm. you can literally put your raw audio in Alphonic, add in your ID three tag info, and then send it to Libsyn in in one interface and it, you can also connect i think soundcloud and youtube so for oh, that's solo, great. yeah for solo podcasters it's what i used right. really early on and I, we just kept using it for clients because a lot of the features um mm-hmm. you know rather than try to fiddle with all the different plugins and settings you know it's like some of the like your audio engineer friend showed you You're right you know they just have algorithms yeah. that kind of fix the majority of stuff and, and get it leveled so it, that's a, a really really helpful to try out yeah i wrote it down on your on your page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry's notes to be continued. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the 2019 version. So you, you did you grow up in Jersey, you said? I did. Born and raised. I didn't leave till I was, uh, I think I was in my 30s. It was like 1996. Yeah. I left and went to Charlotte. I think we may have mentioned this in an email or something like that, because I grew up in Yonkers. Oh, Yonkers, yeah. Or maybe yeah. we had a brief conversation a couple of months ago, too. That might have been it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, people will look at me and go, where's your accent? And yeah. I say, uh, people pay a lot of money to reduce any accent, but I think it was just my, the, by virtue of moving to different areas of the country. So I left mm-hmm. Jersey and I lived in North Carolina. If you'd known me when I moved to North Carolina, I would have been introducing myself to you as, hi, I'm Dawn, Dawn Davis. Yeah. <laughs> so then North Carolina really softened it out. Then I oh, ended yeah. up in Cleveland and that, you know, Midwestern thing. And yeah. then Florida, same. Wow. Yeah, so it really just kind of went away and softened. Although, when I get excited about something or I get really angry about something, that comes, it comes right out. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because <laughs> the whole combination of the um, the, the different di- dialects or, or just ways of speaking in different parts of the country, the fact that you got to experience them in, in, in different parts probably set you up well for the voiceover work. Yeah, because uh, a lot of uh, jobs actually will request like Midwestern American accent, which is essentially like no accent. Monotone, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've got that going for me. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about when you started interviewing people. Had you done interviews before or, you know, how did you prepare um, for that aspect of it, given that it's going to be, you know, it was essentially the format you chose for your show? Right. I have never interviewed anyone before, except for jobs, like when I was a manager at the bank. So that's totally different. What I essentially, I think it was helpful to read those, uh, like I said, those dated books really had some good information. So basically I sat down and came up with a list of questions of like, what would people want to know about people living in the desert? And I think I probably have about, I don't know, 20 or 25 questions on the sheet. But now I find people come in and sit down and because they send me a bio and then I do a little, you know, quick Google search on them and I come up with maybe some other things to ask about. 
the conversation goes really organically. And I've actually gotten some feedback from a number of people who listen to say, I feel like I'm on a, a fly on the wall in a friend's conversation. And I'm like, that is the best compliment that anyone can give me. So I don't, you know, I don't worry too much about it. Now, I will tell you that I have a, had a couple people uh, and it's it's interesting. Sometimes it's the people that are on you and on you and on you. Like, I really want to be on. I really want to be on. I want to talk about this. And then they get here and they don't really talk. <laughs> those are the days I say I earn my money. Yeah. And those are the days when I still, to this day, every time have those questions in front of me in the event that that happens. And I have to refer to them when things get, you know, I start getting these one sentence responses mm-hmm. or, you know, that sort of stuff. Those are, those are the hardest days. How have you grown as an interviewer now that you're getting over 90 episodes? And, and if, if you think about how you were when you started episode, those first couple of episodes and, and how you feel about handling those interviews now? I think that um, I've learned to go deeper. Hmm. When somebody says they had maybe, um, yeah, there was just this feeling when I came here and I say, can you talk more about that? Mm. What did it feel like? Was yeah. it smells, sights? What was it? You know, just digging in deeper that way, I think. And I think it helps being a naturally curious person. Yeah. I think that helps a lot. But overall, you know, and of course, I was taking notes when Terry Gross was giving her keynote. And um, then I went to the library and she actually wrote a book a, okay. a, that includes some of her like questions and interviews and the techniques that she had to use to get around things or, you know. But otherwise, it's just happened pretty organically for me, yeah, which I'm happy about, knock on wood. (laughs) And have you ever had an experience when you start interviewing enough people, you get to hear some pretty personal stories or people, you just make people feel so comfortable that they share something, you know, sometimes they say the the words that every podcaster wants to hear, like, I've never told anyone this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, it just happened yesterday. And it happens because I'm, I'm a pretty empathic sensitive, emotional person. And it just happened yesterday. I had a young lady sitting here talking about the fact that she hadn't celebrated her 50th birthday yet because she had just moved to the desert last year and things were really difficult financially. And she wasn't sure she was going to be able to afford to stay here. She, you know, there was so much going on. She said, so I didn't sell, I didn't feel I could celebrate my 50th birthday. I didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. I didn't. And she started to get emotional. Of course, when I see somebody getting emotional, then I start to feel for them and get emotional. And she started to apologize. I said, no, this is, this is where this conversation needed to happen. And, and thank you for your bravery and your honesty in sharing that. And those, I think, are what draws people in because it's a real humanistic story. And it may harken back to a time in their lives when they were feeling in a, a similar position. Yeah. Um, so to be able to bring that to, you know, to be able to have that connection with the person I'm interviewing and to be able to give that to the audience is amazing. Has that one been released yet? No, it just I, I just recorded yesterday, so it'll come out okay. next Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, I'm that behind. <laughs> it's kind of I'm on the edge, you know, like oh my god, if this yeah, lady cancels on Friday, I'm screwed. Yeah, <laughs> every podcaster's nightmare to be running out, and uh, exactly. like especially when you've committed. Have you been pretty consistent with the with the release schedule? Oh gosh, yes, yeah. That was one of the things that was totally driven home to me, and all of that material I read before I started was: if you have, if you want any op- any chance to get a steady audience, you need to be consistent. Yeah. You need to put your stuff out. So, you know, Monday night, 
I have a little part-time job that I work till 5.30. The um, local community, like municipal advisory council meeting was at 5.30. I didn't get home until 8. I made a salad. I sat down and started my upload. That's when I typically do it on Monday night. I start, but I try to do my um, process on Sundays. Have Sunday mornings have kind of become podcast church for me. So I do all my editing um, and I edit, I don't move stuff around. It's just taking out the ums, the ands, yeah. the, you know, those mouth noises mm-hmm. and things like that, false start sentences. Yeah. And um, then I run it through all those programs. I have to make it mm-hmm. an MP3 to upload to Libsyn, you know, all that mechanical stuff, write the blog post, write the newsletter. I've got 93 people on a newsletter. They get the newsletter every week with the new episode. Uh, schedule all the social media. I have a free Hootsuite account. So I go in and I have my times and I just pop in the photo, write up my little blurb and do that. So all of that typically gets done before Monday night. So then all I have to do is upload to Lipson and then send them the link. Um, yeah. yeah. So. You mentioned being on the, the or attending a municipal, municipality board meeting or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and then the, yeah. the, the concept around organizing people in the community um, is this like something that you're passionate about? Like this, the organ, like organizing and, and um, like getting groups of people together and, and sort of rallying beyond behind causes. Well, yeah. And it's amazing what a community we have here to do that. We um, recently after a 10 year fight where there are no, a number of people in the community actually stepped up and got an attorney and started a GoFundMe, and people in the community contributed anywhere from $5 to $500, based on what you could afford, to fight a 248-home gated community that some developer wanted to put here in Joshua Tree. Now, if anyone listening has never been to Joshua Tree, because I know you said you have, you know it's a very unique place. We have a really small little downtown village. All of the stores are mom and pop. No corporate entities have um, breached the gate until recently, which was also a fight with Dollar General, who Mm. now will have five stores in a 22-mile radius, which is absolutely ridiculous and greedful. So you hear me, I'm getting a little annoyed right now. So that's been a six or seven-year fight to keep them out. And it didn't work. So we're all very hyper vigilant about keeping this because once it turns into that with yeah. every like fast food and box store on the highway, who wants to come here? Yeah. Nobody. They have that at home. Why would they come here and you know experience the wide open spaces of nature and you know Walmart's on the corner? It's just crazy town. So we're constantly um we have a group that's pretty active, I would say. Um, and then we have our own like little Facebook page that we all like, what mm-hmm. are we going to do about this? <laughs> you know, And you know, we just do it. And as a matter of fact, there's a woman that I am going to be interviewing, hopefully at the end of July. She's got a lot of stuff going on. I'm not trying to get her in. She was the one who was very instrumental in getting the group that fought that 248 mm. gated 
home community. So I just want to talk to her about that. And she's been here a long time too. So it's always great to have people on who have been here a long time yeah. and have seen the changes and the waves of people that come and go and things like that. It's uh, Or even just what places look like. Like, yeah, that was never there before. It was over here. And, you know, just learning a little bit about the area. And I have a number of people who listen who either have been here and visited and maybe picked up my card in one of the local shops because I go in and put my stuff everywhere, hang yeah. it on the you know the boards and everything. Kansas, Canada, I mean they're all That's over great. the place. Yeah, and yeah, every once in a while they'll send me an email that says, "Gosh, I didn't even know that. I'm so glad you've been talking about that on the podcast." Or you know, we were there and we want to move there, but we don't know when that's going to happen. But listening to your podcast helps us you know, feel like we know what's going on in the community. Wow. And that's so that's really awesome. I'm really glad that that's happening. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really a fan of super niche and hyper local podcasts. Well, it doesn't get much more niche than what I'm doing. Well, it's interesting, John, because it's, it's, I think it's, there's a real need for that. And I, I think there's someone that actually has a podcast, of course, there's a podcast about niche podcasts. Oh really? Um, yeah, yeah, yes. I, yeah, I'd love I, to hear about. I it. think I remember. I gotta, I gotta think back because it's something. I, I, you know, who who does something similar? Mark Bourbon, who I uh, know, Mark Bologna, who was uh, Beyond Bourbon Street, and so he's he does a local one on New Orleans, and I oh, think okay. I could connect you with him, and I think he mentioned the group. So I think Great. you know th- this idea of helping each other out and rising tide lifting all boats, especially since you guys are doing something similar and have similar challenges. Exactly. I could, yeah. I could, and I could see a need. And have you been able? So, one of my other thoughts about that is mm. leveraging the fact that it is local. Um, has, has that in any way helped you or given you some ideas about what you can do in terms of local sponsorship? You know, um, I think about it all the time. And I actually just January put up, uh, I'm actually doing a Patreon right now. So, I've got about five or six patrons. And what I've done is because the challenge for me was time. So a couple of months ago, I put together like a one sheet of all kinds of sponsorship stuff. I went in because I keep track of my stats on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and I have them in a spreadsheet and all that kind of stuff. So I'm prepared to approach, but I kind of wanted to go the Patreon route first and see how that worked for me. The difficulty was, what do I offer that isn't going to take much more time? Because dude... As you know, that yeah. is the biggest factor in all of this, especially if you're doing it and you're not really getting paid. I mean, you yeah. still have to pay the podcast host. You still have to pay for the website. I have, if I have stuff on uh, SoundCloud, I learned very quickly that I needed to get the maximum premium membership because they just drop your stuff off yeah, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. you load more new stuff. And I was panicking. So um, there's costs involved. So I just started with the Patreon and I was thinking, what can I do? What can I offer that's worth it? So what I've done is I've come up with this diary unlocked Hmm. and I have a sheet of 50 questions that at the end of the episode, I say, so now for our Patreon supporters, I want you to pick four random numbers between one and 50. And then they pick those four numbers and I read the questions and I say, you know, if you're interested in uh, hearing, you know, her answers to these questions, go out to Desert Lady Diaries, click on the support page, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so I've got like five or six people and it ends up being about a six or 10 minute segment 
And then I put that up on Patreon for patrons only. And people seem to really like it. And I just got stickers made for Desert Lady Diaries. So I reached out to my patrons and I said, I want to give you something else. So send me your address and I'll mail you, you know, some stickers and stuff like that. So, but the sponsorship, yeah, I'm definitely, um, it's on my mind, but it's always just the approach and who to approach. I have in mind who I'd like to approach. Mm -hmm. And really here, the time to approach is at high tourist season. So I've just about missed my window because now we're going into low tourist season because of mm-hmm. course it's 105 outside <laughs> nobody's hiking in the park well it's interesting <laughs> i think with, with that approach you just try to get the early ones on board but in a way that is is reminding them that you're also reaching out to everyone else you know in that neighborhood so and say hey yeah. you know we're coming to you first but by the way these are your 20 you know vendors that we're also, mm. also going to be reaching out to and it's limited Definitely. inventory. I only have two spots. I have two pre-rolls, two mid-rolls and two, whatever you want to do, two post-rolls. Right. And so there's a little bit of scarcity there and then you package it in a way. And this is what we talk about with clients where you say, you don't focus on the downloads because essentially it's not going to really mean yeah. a lot and you're not going to get be, be commanding a, a CPM yeah. or cost per thousand. That's going to be meaningful. What right. you're advertising is your platform reach, not your specific episode reach so say this is what we have right. and and so you look at all everything you have in terms of linkedin twitter facebook group facebook page uh, email list download listens and then it becomes this one big number and you're like and then mm. what you tell them is like this is my reach mm, and then okay and then you also talk about the demographics of the people listening and the fact that people who are of this community who support this community and who are interested in moving to this community are now included in the, in that list. And all of a sudden the combination of that demographic and, and your reach becomes interesting to them because as a, as a company, you, uh, you want to be, you want to know that your advertising dollars are going to your ideal customer. Right. And I think you can easily demonstrate that the people listening to your show are essentially like their ideal customer because they're really interested in you know this part of town and 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 this right. and and this area and and that'll just as incentive for them. So you know whether it's right. some of the local merchants, um, you know, in Pioneer Town or <laughs> or the bar right. saloon or, bar, or the bar and saloon. I mean, there's I've been there, so I know there's a lot of places that oh yeah um, mm-hmm. wouldn't wouldn't mind to mention. And then you you package it up as a three month deal. So right. you figure out what a per episode charge is and say, look, it's this per episode, but if you buy the three months, it's 13 episodes. And and mm-hmm. then that way, it's you don't have to go hunting people down like every week or every month for sponsorship. Right. If you yeah. lock them into three months, the three months is good for you because you you get to do one ad read um, and you don't have to chase down sponsors. It's good for them because they get mentioned potentially like 13 or 26 times, whatever on every well, single. Plus you know, the times. evergreen of it is that, yes, you know, exactly. anybody that goes out and listens at any time, whether yeah. it was the first episode or the 22nd episode, that's in the ads in there. So they're yeah. still getting mileage on it too. And the, and, la- and, and lastly, it's even good for the listener because they've proven that it usually takes about seven to eight times of hearing something before you actually think about purchasing it. And so since you're a trusted resource and the people know who you are, any recommendations that you make, they're going to be like, well, if Dawn supports this product, and obviously I'm sure you wouldn't put your name behind any product you don't stand behind anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> <laughs> so talk a little bit about, you know, you, you said from when you arrived there, it was only, was it 
a couple of weeks, you said, or within a well, month? Well, it was, uh, let's see, I, we came up and visited April of uh, 2016, and by the end of July, I had signed a lease. Wow. Can you point your finger to any, anything specifically, or just what was it that convinced you so quickly? Well, initially what happened was we drove up, and when you drive up, you know there's those two hills you have to come up, right? So the first one is the Morongo grade, and the next one is the Yucca grade for Yucca Valley. And literally, as soon as we hit the top of the Morongo grade, I could feel like it was like someone was pulling a string to my head, and it was just... And I was looking around at these trees and everything. I was like, something's going on here for me because it was a physical response. Wow. All weekend, I was just looking around and even on our way up to the park, because that's the first thing we did when we came in was drive up there. And I said, uh, you know, I noticed all these little houses along the way up Quail Springs. And I said, you know, maybe I could get a piece of property out here and you could put tiny houses and you can come and visit me on the weekends. And, but all weekend I was just very interested and I went home and immediately got to work researching. And I came across a couple of websites where I saw how activist community there was here, which is really appealing to me. And that just so I didn't think I was romanticizing the whole thing about moving. I was like, I probably need to make a few more visits out there. So it was this one visit that I came out that was really like the clincher. Before I left town, um, I signed up for an Airbnb and I was coming out to do a workshop. And I said to my friend, Carrie, I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like this guy is going to ask me to house it. I can't explain it. And in the meantime, I called the chamber and I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm, do people go away in the summer? Do they need somebody to house it thinking, you know, it's July. If I can make it through the, you know, a summer week in there, I can, I can manage. So he's like, yeah, you can hang up flyers at the health food store, blah, blah, blah. So I made up flyers before I left and, you know, booked the Airbnb. I got here on Saturday, drove up to the Airbnb. I sat down with Tom, the host on the front porch, and I just broke into tears. And he was like, and I was like, you have to understand something. I'm thinking about moving here. And this is one of the reasons why the silence, if you've been up here, you know, it's oh, yeah. so quiet and coming from, totally. you know, downtown LA living there for three and a half years, being here was just like unbelievable. So, um, I went to the workshop and then Sunday evening I was at the Airbnb and I was coloring or something on the front porch and he comes out and sits down and he goes, well, I'm going camping next week in Denver. I'm like, that's awesome. He's like, well, it would be, except that I forgot to block off the Airbnb and two people booked. And it just like went right over my head. And yeah. I looked at him and I said, oh gosh, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, you were talking about house sitting. Dude, I almost fell off the chair. <laughs> I, and I was thinking, this is really happening. It's really happening right now. So I said, well, you know what? I didn't bring my laptop. I didn't bring my computer with me. I got to go back to LA and check and see what I got going on. So I did. And I was fine. We discussed where I was going to leave the key as we were packing, as I was packing my car, he comes out with this like BB rifle and he goes, just keep this nearby in case you, and I'm like, what, what? <laughs> and he says, and I put a BB uh, pistol underneath the pillow. Just leave it there when you're sleeping, just in case. And I'm like, oh my God. Wow. And on top of that, he had no swamp coolers in the place. And if you're not familiar, that's like a desert thing of how people keep their homes cool. You can look it up online. I can't really explain it because I don't have one. I have AC. Um, so he had no swamp cooler, no air conditioners, window or otherwise. He just had like floor fans. Mm. So at night, there were a couple of nights when I was there by myself. And you would just hear like somebody on an off-road vehicle. I'm like, 
Why did you stop? <laughs> Keep going. Um, so I didn't leave the fans on at night because I didn't want to oh not hear somebody approaching. It was like a little nerve wracking, quite honestly. Um, but while I was here for eight days, I made a go of checking out a couple of places to live and I found this apartment place. So by mm. the end of the week, I had the application filled out. I dropped it off on my way back to LA. She called me the next day and said, if you could send me this, this, and this, um, I can go ahead and write up your lease. When do you want to come and sign it? And I was wow. like, holy crap. So it was like the total, I call it the green light syndrome. Mm. There was no impediment to my first thought of, you know, when I got back to LA initially after the first visit, I went to buy something from a friend of mine at her loft. She was selling these t-shirts and stuff. And I, she, I, she said, so what have you been doing? I go, well, we just got back from Joshua Tree. And dude, I can't believe the place. She goes, well, you know, do you know so-and-so? He has a place up there and he's looking for a manager. And I'm like, what is happening? So there were just way too many coincidences. And the last thing I will say about this is that ever since I moved out of my parents' home in New Jersey, every place I've ever lived on my own, I have decorated as if it were the desert. Oh, that's funny. I've had like little adobe houses or pictures of cactuses or dish towels with cactuses, you know, comforter with, you know, Native American prints, the whole schmeal. And when I got into this apartment and I looked out the window, the first thing I said to this lady was, I feel like I've been waiting for or preparing for this <laughs> my whole life. I, and I, you know, it's inside and outside now. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing so, story. There was just a, you know, something in me that I think knew I was coming here and it took me a long circuitous route to get here, but I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they are longer than we, than we think or thought they might've been. But right. what, what's so interesting is that that feeling that you felt that intuition that you were in the right place is yeah. so strong. And I'm sure it's something that you've been paying attention to closely your whole life. Well, no, I, I don't know about that. I think there were times when I was at the bank that mm. I was just so focused on getting through the yeah. week and then coming in on the weekend to take care of my email because I couldn't get to it during the week. And, you know, those times I don't think I was as aware, but your body and your mind will push you sometimes to certain places that you really are surprised that you end up and that jars you. And I think Cleveland yeah. for me was, was that place. Yeah. That's when things really turned on a dime. And I said, mm. what you need to do something differently. Yeah. And what's interesting is that now you've become such an integral part of the community and because of your activism roots and tendencies mm -hmm. now and what you're doing with the podcast, it's like you didn't just come to just be a, a consumer and just another resident in, in, that, in that area. I mean, you're actually contributing, right. you're, you're a storyteller and you're also an archivist of sorts because now there's a lot of people whose stories I'm sure would have gone un untold had it not been for your show. Right. And what's exciting about that is it's funny you should say that word archivist because uh, probably about three months ago, I reached out to the 29 Palms Historical Society and said, would you have any interest in taking in these interviews into your archives? And they said, yes. So, so far, I want to say there's probably about half are there now. Uh, what I've been doing is I've been using this um, Otter is a yeah. um, transcription. Yep. So I've also been, um, you can only do so many for free, you know, because I am on a budget. So uh, I keep loading them in there every month when I, you know, hit my limit. And um, yeah, so any episodes that I've done so far and any future episodes 
are part of the archives of the 29 Palms Historical Society. So I came, I walked into this to, you know, market my voice and tell stories of women. And I'm walking out kind of leaving a legacy, which is super cool and something that I never would have really anticipated or thought about. That's awesome and incredibly inspiring. And I'm sure for anyone who's even thinking of starting, or is that that episode one or six or 12, you know, that we, we've all been there. I said, so I think right. that's why I love telling these stories because it's, it's inspiring. And I, d- I don't think you realize the impact you're going to have if you stay with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, people say all the time, well, how many are you going to do? When will it end? I'm like, I have no idea. You know, there's, I've got over 250 women's names on a list. Mm. and I'm only at number 92. And I keep getting them all the time. Like I was at that meeting Monday night for the Municipal Advisory Council. And the woman who got up to do the community report for um, California Highway Patrol was a woman. And I'm like, Mm. I bet she's got some stories. So I just literally, they put up, the, they record the meeting. So they just put it up, I think yesterday or today. And um, I'm going in there to get her name. So that then, cause I was going to give her a card, but she snuck out before the mm. meeting was over. So, uh, and I didn't go chasing her down. I figured I could find her somehow. So um, it's just happens all the time where I suddenly see something in the paper or I meet somebody or I hear somebody speaking. That's how I got Robin on the podcast. Oh yeah. I, I went to, um, we have a semi-annual event called Desert Stories, and she was one of the stories that was told about, I don't know if she's ever told you the story about the fire that they had up there and the escape that they had to make. And I just was glued to her story. And I said, I have got to talk to this woman. So, you know, I put her on the list when I started, but it was months before I got Mm. there because I'm only doing one a week, you know? I love teasing out content so people can listen to that specific episode (laughs) Mm -hmm. of Desert Lady Diaries. So a couple of questions as we wrap up, what's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? Ooh, something I've changed my mind about spending money. Hmm. Yeah. I just picked up start late, finish rich. David, I think it's got it right there. Bach. I think it is B-A-C-H. And literally last night I wrote on my debit card and my, my PayPal card that goes against my PayPal balance, the word necessary with a question mark. Because he tells this story in the book about um, his grandmother. He's got a lot of stories about his grandmother and how she made her wealth. And one of them was, is, you know, asking the question, is this purchase necessary? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can think about that right now because I'm reading the book. But when I'm out and caught up in things, how am I going to remember? And I'm like, write it on the card. Mm, that's and good. then when you go to take out the card, it's like necessary. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a very yeah. good one. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Ooh. <sighs> These are hard. I'm going to steal them. <laughs> um, I guess that I'm not empathetic or emotional. I think people see mm. me really as um, pretty like in control. And I'm that person at the store that doesn't work there, but someone will come up to me and say, do you know where I can find, (laughs) you know, or is there someone working that register, you know, that sort of weird thing. And I'm like, what is it about my look? So I have this, not only the voice is kind of an authoritarian, which I use to describe it when I'm selling myself, but apparently I have that look too. Like she knows, she knows the answer. That that comforting, like she can help me or. I guess. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Well, Dawn, I'm super glad we were able to make this work. And yes. it's been a, a while in, in the making. I think we had a couple of reschedules. But, um, you know, as we both know now, and, and I think you know because of your intuitive abilities, abilities um, the right things happen at, at the right time and when they're supposed to. So um, I'm glad we got to tell your story. I think what you're doing is amazing for the community, the com- community there. And uh, I'm, I'm excited that more people are going to hear about it by virtue of this episode and you're only covering one of the deserts there. So there's a, I don't know how many others in the world, but <laughs> you could actually right, exactly. fran- I know. Fran- well, franchise out the podcast. Yes. I'm going out to um, Vegas to house sit for an old landlord from LA who just bought a place out there. And she goes, well, I live in the desert now. You can interview me. Yeah. <laughs> so That's I don't true. know, we might branch out and I have, I have some feelers out to other areas of the Mojave as mm. well. So, um, you know, if I can get my zoom or task cam, I'm on it. <laughs> So where's the best place for folks to uh, stay connected with you and to find out more about the show? They can go to the website, desertladydiaries.com. And it's on social media, Facebook and Instagram as Desert Lady Diaries. And there wasn't enough room on Twitter. So I had to go with Desert Lady Diary. (laughs) Singular. (laughs) Perfect. We'll make sure we have all those notes and all those links in the show notes. So thanks again. And hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks. You too. Take care. Thanks again to Dawn for coming on the show. Always appreciated. Always enjoy hearing the many different ways podcast hosts are using their skills, their unique set of skills to tell their stories. And what's cool about what Dawn does is that she's doing them in person out in the desert by Joshua Tree, which I've been to, and it's an awesome place, very inspiring. And what's also interesting is that she has no shortage of guests that she's going to be interviewing, and they're all women that are doing fantastic things. So make sure you check that out. Don't forget to support our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, and specifically the Scarlet 2i2, now in its third generation. Tune in next week for our conversation with another pair of folks doing amazing things in the podcasting space. This time, it's Zach and Rock, co-founders of Squadcast.fm. And if that sounds familiar, it's a service I've been raving about for probably over a year now since I've been working with them, and I've actually met them two years ago, so... I can't say enough good things about the team, and I'm excited for you to hear that conversation. So that's going to be episode 199 as we roll into 200. And if you're a regular listener, you already know who guest 200 is going to be. Again, full show notes are available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 198. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. If you made it this far, no doubt you're listening out for the retention hashtag. It's going to be Desert Dawn, D-E-S-E-R-T Dawn, D-A-W-N. That's the hashtag, and you can tag her at Desert Lady Diary, and that's singular L-A-D-Y, so Desert Lady Diary, and me at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Super excited to close in on episode 200. It's going to be a fun ride, and I'll talk to you guys next week. 